Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Avi Cooper, and I'm joined, as always, by my fearless co-host, Tony Brew and Hannah Abrams. How are you both? I'm doing great. Fearless. Fearless, yeah. <laughs> fearless and peerless. So today's show is the next in a series on intern questions, a series that we've really enjoyed. And it's, Hannah's going to walk us through a question that has come up for her during her intern year. And this has to be the last question of intern year, right? I, I assume. This is the last, and that's that's why I feel so fearless. Is is how <laughs> internal medicine intern year always, I think, makes everyone feel. But uh, this will be the last intern question, and so for this one, we are going with what I feel like is one of the most fundamental sort of questions of intern year, which was, "Does it burn when you pee?" So to re-explain the format of intern questions, usually when we look up a question, we look super in-depth and we want to make sure that we have an exact answer that is completely backed up by the science. With these questions, these are some of the kind of curiosity questions that have come up this year. And so they don't always have a firm, exact answer in the literature, but they're things that I've just enjoyed digging into over the past year. So the formal question for today, as I referenced is why does a UTI uh, or urinary tract infection, and specifically, why does cystitis burn? And I think you alluded to this in the opening, that this is like a fundamental question, but you know, why this particular fundamental question? As now, your when last did this come to question. me? Exactly. Yeah. Like all intern questions, it came to me as I was admitting a patient at approximately somewhere between midnight and three in the morning. And I remember admitting a patient who was a little bit hard of hearing and so, and it's like in the middle of the night. And so I'm shouting, does it burn when you pee? <laughs> I'm just like, you know, internally like dying laughing. Um, <laughs> As all, it's really all you can do at three in the morning. Right. And, but it struck me like, why, why am I asking this? What, why would it burn if you have an infection of your urinary system? It doesn't burn when you have a sore throat. It's true. It seems kind of unique to that specific infection, that like this sensation of burning. Because you're exactly right, right? It's not like, oh, you're having an acute MI, you're having you know burning chest pain. I mean, I guess maybe at times that can happen with reflux, but yeah, yeah, this seems say, like reflux, yeah. But but this is this does seem t different than most of the infections we think about. So. Why, uh, why does it burn when you have cystitis? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like burning to know here. Why, why, does it, ah. why does that happen? Okay, so the first thing that we're going to need to do to answer this question is think about what the bladder is and how it works. So the bladder is a very large, essentially, ball of muscle that holds in all of this urine, and then it squeezes together and extracts all of that urine, comes out through the urethra, right? That's fundamentally what the bladder is. It's a giant muscle that we call the detrusor muscle. And in order to get all of the urine out of the bladder, it's all got to fire together, right? And so classically, when the bladder is firing, when the detrusor muscle is firing and, and all of the urine is coming out, it's signaled by what we think about kind of what you're taught in med school, which is that there's a pelvic afferent and set of pelvic efferent nerves that signal the bladder when it's time to urinate. But in order to be effective, there's also another, almost you could think of it as like a paracrine system, where you need all of the bladder to contract at once. So there has to be some component where one muscle fiber of the bladder is also telling the other muscle fiber of the bladder, it's time to contract. 
And so those two signals together, the brain essentially telling the bladder it's time to contract and that coming to all of the muscle fibers and the muscles themselves and the system itself knowing that the bladder is urinating and feeding that forward to get all of the muscles to contract together. That's how we urinate. And and that's all happening within the bladder itself. So we haven't yet hit the urethra. Is that fair to say? Right. So it's kind of within the urinary system. How does the bladder know and where does that kind of paracrine signal come from? So there's a lot of sort of different literature about this. It's a there's a relatively large sort of body of literature on sensation in the urinary system, but the basic way to know and one of the most more interesting recent developments is that the urethra has cells in it that sense that urine is flowing by and if the bladder is more distended tells the bladder keep contracting and if there's flow going on and it's less distended says, tighten up the external urethral sphincter, time to kind of pack it up. (laughs) So (laughs) pack it up, boys. (laughs) We're done. Uh, All of this is happening every time we pee. So this is also important. So that's the bladder and the urethra. The urethra is also important because it's where bacteria get in. It's the portal of entry into the bladder. And that's normal urination. Okay, so... so that's normal, and, and normal is not burning pain. Um, so, like, what's different that's happening during a urinary tract infection? I mean, I, I, I know there's usually bacteria in there and, and other cells, but, like, what's different to cause, actually cause the burning itself? Right. Okay. So, at this point, what we've established is that the bladder is in some ways more complex and in some ways less complex than we think. There is sensation that happens at a local level that controls things at a local level in addition to the spinal cord and brain controlling things. But let's go back specifically to the urethra and that cell, those cells that we said were sensing flow going by inside the urethra. So these are a relatively actually really recently described set of cells. So they, there's a a really amazing paper on this in uh, PNAS in 2014 um, that described these urethral brush cells. And so these are cells, they're called brush cells because they're structured like brush cells in the respiratory epithelium. And they sense not only just flow, but they also have a variety of channels on them, including a set of channels that, Avi, you might recognize uh, that are called TRP family of channels and specifically TRPV1 channels. And these channels that are on these brush cells inside of the urethra are a part of the signal transduction pathway typically for bitter and umami flavors. <laughs> of course. I, if you had given me, I don't know, uh, a month to guess what sensation flows through the, the, the urethra, I would not have come up with umami. How does a UTI taste? <laughs> umami. <laughs> well, so, you know, if we were... If I recall from that episode, you know, we talked about that there are there's placement of umami receptors kind of surprisingly all along the GI tract. So like there's t- quote unquote tasting of umami happening long after food has like transited further down in your GI tract. But we did not go into <laughs> the urethra <laughs> tasting flavor. <laughs> like what the heck is going on here? But yeah, but I, I I usually think about umami as being a good thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so wait, but why is it burning? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is one set of sort of 
receptors that is really well described on these urethral brush cells. And I mentioned that this is a relatively new body of literature. However, so these are the TRP channels and this family of receptors called the TAS channels that are known to sense bitterness and umami. But all along the urethelium, we know that there are these channels called the TRPV1 channels. And that family of channels is responsible for tasting vanilloid flavors. Among the vanilloid flavors is capsaicin. So while we don't have direct experimental evidence to say so, based on sort of some of the data that's out there now, we might say that that capsaicin, that burning taste transduction, is responsible for uh, some of the burning sensation in the urethra. But do bacteria or like neutrophils release capsaicin? Like, how does how does the how does the capsaicin get there? Okay, so this is the wild part, other than the fact that they like this entire set of experiments is completely the wild part. It's pretty wild up to this point. I, I'm just getting I'm nervous that next time I make bolognese, someone's going to be like, God, I, it burns when I urinate all that umami. I, I'm just so confused. <laughs> okay, so why would it be beneficial for a, for us to have a urinary tract infection, know that this is happening, and experience that as burning? somehow. Right, 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 right. right. So hearkening back to episode nine of the podcast, remember that glutamate is one of the umami triggers, right? Which, you know, we said indicate that there's protein amino acids. Well, it turns out that amino acids are also good for the bacteria that live in the urine. So there's a couple different pathways, but glutamate is actually positively linked to pathogenic potential of proteus when it's found in the urine. And so that's one of the things that triggers these receptors. Then pseudomonas also makes, a pseudomonas makes biofilms, right? And they've tested pseudomonal biofilms and they contain high quantities of, I'm going to just completely butcher this one, N3-oxaloacyl homoserine lactones naturally um, that trigger the bitter taste. So that's pseudomonas. Proteus, we know, um, thrives well in glutamate. And then here's the real kicker. They heat inactivated in this set of experiments, they heat inactivated uropathogenic E. coli, and they found that it triggered this same bitter and umami cascade. Mm. And that if they put any bitter compound inside of the urethra, it would enhance activity of the bladder detrusor muscle. So all of this is to say, if you put these bitter and umami and potentially these sort of capsaicin, although we don't know for sure from the experimental data, substances in the urethra, it will cause the detrusor muscle to contract, and that will push urine out and potentially flush it out and prevent it from getting into the bladder or further into the bladder. And, and I feel like that does help me to understand at least a, bit, a little bit a teleological rationale for experiencing discomfort with urination in the setting of a urinary tract infection. Because you'd otherwise say that would be a bad thing because you know, if it burns every time I pee, then I might be disinclined to evacuate my bladder that contains the pathogenic bacteria. But if the idea here is that these sensations are then feeding back to the bladder and causing it to contract more and, and, and expel those bacteria, well then, okay, that would make more sense. I think it seems to me to be a, a very reasonable explanation for why we might experience this, even though it's a, not comfortable. Yeah, I've, I, you know, and I like, I tried reasoning through it a little bit. 
as we get into the hand-wavy teleological part. And I think that it might just be nature's elegance, essentially, in using the same receptor twice and in multiple places. Not necessarily that it's beneficial for us to have this burning sensation, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, again, the beauty of teleology is you can't, you don't have to prove that you're right. You just (laughs) have to be sort of reasonable. But that's one of the teleological arguments for umami, right? And that it's the way that we sense protein and, you know, and so protein and and nucleotides in our food. I mean, it kind of makes sense that like there's going to be like more DNA and protein in an infected bladder. And so, you know, I think there's like Tony, like you said, I think there's, it, it kind of makes sense that maybe it would feed back that way that, hey, there's, there's more going on here. We got to get this stuff out. Exactly. We got to get it out. And, and, and for the, you know, the, the, the short, on the short term, it's going to be more painful to get it out, but we have to get it out. But, but there was something else that you said that confused me at least a little bit. And it was that pseudomonas and bitter were connected. And I don't know, pseudomonas, it's supposed to like smell good. And so you, things that usually smell good, taste good. So why, why is pseudomonas causing all this bitter stuff to, to happen? Yeah, again, so it turns out that people have I don't know if I would say pseudomonas smells good. (laughs) (laughs) Dow's spoken like the pulmonologist in the room. Look, so (laughs) I am not a super old school nephrologist, like going around tasting my patient's urine. Um, And I am not willing to start being, even though now I think it might taste like umami. Um, But... They actually, in this set of experiments, tried putting saccharin things into the urethra. And what they found is that it doesn't actually trigger the receptors. So sweet taste didn't trigger the receptors. And the reason for that is that it descri- it requires co-expression of another receptor called TAS1R2, which has not been found on the urothelium. So that's yeah, as much evidence as I am willing to collect on that topic. Well, in glycosuria, you know, in a patient who's got you know, oh, uncontrolled diabetes, they're not usually like, it feels good. I mean, that, like that's <laughs> so that maybe that's unsurprising. And so, Tony, you had a really interesting question for me before we started recording that I absolutely don't have an answer to. Yeah, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, if to, at least to some extent it's the bacteria and their proteins or and amino acids that are to some extent causing these sensations why can we have asymptomatic bacteria? Like, what is it that leads to this sort of switch being turned on for the bacteria passing through the urethra and, and causing problems? Um, and it sounds like you don't have a, a great answer, but I'm, I'm still curious how you maybe at least think about that question. Yeah, I have totally no idea. Um, and it's a fantastic question. Not a ton has been described it's not like someone has gone through and said exactly which uropathogens activate this system and don't. So right. I think one concept could just be that many of the pathogens that are more likely to cause asymptomatic bacteria aren't necessarily um, the the same ones that are activating these receptors. There's also been a lot of research that's been done on interstitial cystitis and chronic cystitis and how those things affect the sensory system of the the bladder and of the urethra although I don't know that they necessarily have a firm answer that could explain that. And certainly people have asymptomatic bacteria without having had chronic or interstitial cystitis. Right. Um, There is, however, actually, this ties into one of the things that I thought was a really interesting sort of burgeoning area of research that I happened upon but could not 100% explain as part of this 
theory, which is some newer research that describes the relationship between 5-HT and CGRP signaling in some of these paraneurons around the urethra. So the idea here is that, so I've kind of told you guys about one set of neuronal connections in the bladder, but there's a huge literature that's coming out about a wide variety, this really rich sensory network for the urethra and bladder. And one of them is um, this idea of 5-HTs, which you guys might remember from serotonin, right? But it's a neurotransmitter. idea that there is baseline sensory sensation that's mediated by CGRP in the bladder, and that when certain substances are around, and in this case they studied 5-HT, this turns on um, the fact that these, so suddenly it flips a switch, and these Paraneurons sense pain and send signals to the visceral pain or VRP hmm. um, area rather than just sensing pressure. Hmm. And so this has like been looked into specifically with chronic inflammation and interstitial cystitis. Like why why do people sometimes experience pain so persistently with what should just be a pressure stimulus? But it hasn't really been studied for acute pathologies like a, an acute UTI. So there is a whole world of research out there about how and why and when we experience pain with urination. And this is just really a slice of it. Can you remind me what CGRP is? It is, oh, I'm going to Google this in a second, but I think it's calcitonin gene-related peptide. Okay, so, but it's like, a, it's like a peptide, maybe like a, a, a neurotransmitter of, sor- of sorts. And it is, it is used, it's involved in a, just, wide variety of um, neuronal processes that I Got could it. not pretend to know all of. Perfect. Including nociception, according to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Hannah, we've, um, I think, uh, covered a lot here. Uh, what take-home points do you have? Yeah, so first thing to take home, there is an immense sensory innervation, including both local and CNS, for the urinary tract. In UTI, a variety of factors cause the urine to either have elevated glutamate or elevated substances that trigger TRP and umami signaling. And then that TRP signaling results in the typical sensory and taste cascade that we would associate with burning. But instead, it tells us that there is either an environment that's favorable for a uropathogen or a uropathogen present, and it prompts the detrusor muscle to push out urine. Hannah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, Hannah, it's clear that you're in the final stages of, of intramural. <laughs> you've, learned, you've learned a lot. <laughs> All right, well, with that, uh, let's wrap up this uh, episode of The Curious Clinicians. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, as a reminder, you can join our mailing list at curiousclinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.